Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, doing James Bond, as we often do. It's on Her Majesty's Secret Service this week, and it's a particularly good one because, as well as doing our usual shtick of reviewing the film and then pitching our own ideas for a sequel, uh, I, I also do a big James Bond music quiz, which you can play along with at home. It's It's cool. That's it, really. You know the drill. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Calvin, and with me are Sol. Howdy. And Alan. Hello, Bond fans. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is a first... uh, Oh, no, sorry. This may be the sixth Bond film that we're reviewing, but it's a a first on the podcast for several things. Number one being, I am stood up. And number two... (laughs) and, and, And number two... Can you hear that? That is the sound of a bottle of wine opening and being poured into a glass because we are recording on a Friday night. I'm normally out with my workmates around this time having wine and um, we're here podcasting. So cheers. <laughs> what, what, what are you boys drinking? Uh, well, I'm not an alcoholic, so I can go without uh, for a couple of hours. God. Um, <laughs> when did you last have a drink though, Alan? Wasn't it 15 um, years last ago? Last time I had a drink, ooh, probably about 1999. All right. So, <laughs> what do you uh, have, Sol? Uh, just a big bottle of Pepsi Max Cherry. Oh, you dirty bastard! Oh, I thought you were drinking. Huh. Right. So today we're talking about the George Lazenby Bond film on Her Ooh. Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. It, well, yes, quite. Um, <laughs> and that's what many people would have said when it was announced uh, in the late '60s that he was going to be James Bond. Uh, yeah, who the fuck was Sean Connery and? In- 1960 well, whatever Sean Connery was at least in a few films Darby O'Gill and the Little People um, No, Connery had been in stuff He was like a working actor George Lazenby was a model from Australia Who was in a chocolate commercial <laughs> And um, he came over to London Deciding that he wanted an acting career And then he decided that he wanted to be Bond And this was the kind of you know, era when If you were like cheeky enough and didn't give a shit You could just like march into a producer's office And say hey I'm James Bond Give me the part and they did <laughs> Yeah no literally literally, He literally went to the place Where Connery got his suits And went to Connery's barber and just got all the You know the Connery accoutrements And then waltzed into the office Of producer Harry Saltzman And then was immediately a contender But he lied about uh, his filming experience He gave them a list of like I was in this film in China And this film in Australia And this film in blah 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 He'd never acted before But don't you think it just like It's like shows the hubris of the producers More than anything else That they would be willing to take a punt On just like Oh yeah, you can you can do this, yeah. I don't know, maybe they got a really good vibe from him. I mean, I, I think he did a perfectly fine job as Bond. Are you joking? No, I mean, it's, it's not his fault the film's shit, is it? No, the film isn't shit, he's shit in it. Nah, he's, he's, he's just he's well, playing Bond, uh, isn't he? We'll come to that. I mean, I mean, from what I've seen in these Bond films, I don't think the Bond producers have really got the hang of casting. They got lucky with Connery. And fair enough, you've got a couple of solid actors in, like, as M... Money, penny, whatever. But then everyone else is complete shit. The uh, the villains are always crap no, and can't not. speak English. 
the 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 Bond girls are always just no, models, it, so that it's the girls that can't speak English. <laughs> it's the girls that need to be dubbed afterwards. Villains are normally all right. Hmm? Goldfinger. Oh yeah, he couldn't. I I I, I mean I don't think George Lazenby uh, really. He didn't bring much to the role, but like yeah. he did it fine. I thought he yeah I thought he. Played it fine, yeah, but yeah, he doesn't bring any charm to it. There's no real personality there, and obviously that's what Connery brought to it. But but all Sean mm. Connery brings to it is a bit of cuntiness. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's fun, on the page, man. isn't it? So, but yeah, but Connery is just one. Of, he, that's why he's a star. He, he he's got that whatever the X factor is that makes you uh, sort of the camera loves you. You know, mm-hmm. he's just got a little charm, a little twinkle in the eye. Mm. I don't think George Lazenby has that, and I think we'll, we'll we'll get into the film, and I'll point out specific moments where I think I, I like I think the script lets him down as much as he himself lets him down. Um, well, before we get into the film itself, Calvin, can you yes. give us the history? Okay, so we know Connery was sick of doing Bond. Yes, um, I guess they couldn't pin him down anymore. He nope. left. Yep. So what happened? What was the fallout? How were they? Are we? I mean, you know. Obviously, well, uh, were they just waiting for someone to walk into the office and say they'd do it, or what? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, there was obviously a huge casting process, and many actors were auditioned for the part, and George Lazenby was one of those people. I mean, he did just swan in and got the part based on um, based on his screen test. Uh, one, one of the production uh, changes here is that they kind of did away with a lot of the grandiose sets and all that kind of stuff and tried to go Mm. sort of more back to basics with this one. And I think with the new director, Peter Hunt, who was an editor and second unit director on the previous films, you can tell it's a much more grittier style. Um, (laughs) Is it? Is it? Well, yeah. Yeah, compared to the previous ones, it is. (laughs) I mean, though, some of the fights, the fights are much more brutal. It's like you really (laughs) feel... (laughs) Are they? Yes, they li- they like legitimately so, are. I... So that that fight scene when like they they throw each other into a room full of bells and all the bells are just going ding dong ding ding ding. I mean, not that one smack- specifically, <laughs> um, but yeah, like that fight on the beach. It's uh, yeah, that's like I, I... they're shot right. I, what are, the fight scenes in this film? A load of them are shot like old karate movies, old kung fu movies. They've got whip zooms and and they're oh, really yes. like choreographed in a certain way I would not mm. call them gritty I would call them pulpy they're gritty compared to the previous films, I the only other fight scene I can think of that's on this level of grittiness is the Red Grant fight in the train in From Russia With Love What, what one of my notes here actually does back you up, it, it says big long punch up on the beach, boring, <laughs> nicely shot though for the most part So that, that <laughs> well yeah that's just it, it's like you know the, the camera, uh, like the cinematography and they, they love their lens flares in this one and getting the sun you know, reflecting mm. off all sorts of things yeah, like that bit when the helicopter comes in at the end and it's like mm. casting a shadow of itself as it comes in. It's quite nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some really lovely shots in it and I think it's kind of unique in that sense. It feels more like... Um, I, I know you want to laugh at this, but it feels more like there is a artistic director at the helm than the workman um, philosophy behind some of the previous ones. I, yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with that because... As much as I, I don't think I'm spoiling much by saying I didn't particularly care for this film. It, it felt like you say, like there was more of a voice behind it, and I, I responded yeah. to that. There were a lot of little individual elements and moments that I really enjoyed, which is 
more than I could say about the likes of Thunderball, for example. Mm. I'm not mm. sure I would say there was any redeeming <laughs> features whatsoever. I, I could list all the <laughs> redeeming features for me pretty quickly if you want me to. <laughs> well, should we go through the film? All right. Yeah. Well, just well so, can, so, can I ask again before we before we go into it? What was what was the publicity around at the time? Like, was it, oh. hey, look, a new Bond? Was it sold as that? Or was it just another Bond film and people went in and was like, hang on, that's not Connery? I think, yeah, when what? you look at the posters, it's like when you compare them to You Only Live Twice, which was like Sean Connery's name was as big as James Bond, as big as You Only Live Twice. It was Sean Connery is James Bond, not Sean Connery as James Bond is. And then you look at the poster for On Her Majesty's Secret Service and it's sort of like, well, if I zoom in enough, I can see George Lazenby's name. Um, because they were so, like, they adored Connery and everyone adored him. So, I, I mean, it, George Lazenby had a hard task. Roger Moore was courted at one point for um, being in the sixth film. Though I don't oh. think it was going to be Majesty's Secret Service at that point. It was going to be Man with the Golden Gun, I think. But that fell through and never quite happened. And I think that'd be really interesting because obviously George Lazenby is kind of like the fall guy, who you have to see how low things can go of climb back up the hill again and get a proper bond with Roger Moore in a couple of films' time. Well, that's, but that's it. I mean, I, I don't like this film. I don't think that was George Lazenby's fault. I don't think yeah. he does anything particularly impressive, but I don't think he does anything wrong either, really. Mm. You know, it's a hard task replacing Connery. How much do you get paid? Uh, not as much as Connery. So we go from Scottish Bond to Aussie yeah. Bond. Scottish Bond. Uh, <laughs> ding dong. Hello. <laughs> it's, oh, who is it? it? Oh, it's it's Aussie Bond. All right, Mike. <laughs> Bloody hell. You doing a podcast here? Oh, shit. That sounds like it's South African uh, Bond, South actually. South African Bond. Oh, shit. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so James Bond's driving along. That's this start, and that goes on too long. Then there's some misuse of a, uh, a scope. As he uh, checks out a woman on the beach with it. Uh, Teresa Di Vincenzo, Tracy. Probably the best thing in the film, to be honest. She she at least, she feels like an actor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is pretty rare for the Bond girls at this stage. Then she, she walks out into the ocean to kill herself. And Bond's like, oh shit, I was just... I was looking at that. Yeah, and so he runs out to uh, to save her. Then we have uh, a big title card, or is it the fight first? No, we have a fight, yes, because there are some heavies who appear on the beach, and there's a, a fight sequence that we were talking about earlier, yes. the one in the water. And that goes on too long. And then there's the title card, which my note says might just be the tackiest image ever put together. It's a, um, a few naked women in silhouette, a British flag, a crown... And a cocktail glass, and it might as well have "Keep Calm and Watch James Bond" written above it. That's Bond. <laughs> I, th- I think it's really nice. I really like it. But I'm surprised, Saul, that you uh, brushed over one of my most annoying moments in the entire franchise. Oh yeah. Um, when, when she runs off, <laughs> is it? When... She leaves a shoe behind. Oh and yes. He says, "What does he say, Alan?" He says, he says oh, this, "This never happened to the other fella." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, of course, is clear proof. <laughs> Sol? Is that even the line? Isn't it more like, this never happened to the previous James Bond before I played <laughs> the role? <laughs> mm. This is why I needed wine, because I knew we were going to get onto this. Okay, um, so let's deal with this then. Um, we, we've, yes. we've established by now, we've established by now that, yeah, in the James Bond universe, 
there are more than one James Bond because it is, of course, a code name. I mean, it isn't. <laughs> it's uh, the the problem is with this thing is that it is canonized in the film series, and all you can take it as is just like a tacky wink to the audience joke. And that's all it is here. I mean, it's like if you, I've heard people um, sort of uh, try to make sense of it in an in in film uh, universe by saying that Bond is referring to Prince Charming <laughs> when he uh, says that because he's like holding the shoe. And it's well, that's like, literally what happens to oh, Prince like Charming. Someone. That is exactly what happened to the other. Yeah. In that case. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, what? But like in universe. I mean, I'm annoyed that I'm coming to your defence here, really. I, I like winding <laughs> up about this. But surely in-universe, he could easily just be talking about 001 through 6, or... Yeah, uh, yeah, he could. Yeah, someone he could. else. And he just happened to look like, off into yeah. the middle distance <laughs> when yeah. he said it. Anyway. Well, that's it. It's the fact that he's sort of like... He's not looking directly at the camera, but he might as well be. <laughs> yes. it's, it's really irritating. And it's, it's you know, other Bond films don't do this. It's not like every time. It's the only fourth wall breaking moment in the whole series, I think. Apart from perhaps at the end of Live and Let Die. I thought I had a hat when I came in. <laughs> that's leaning on the fourth wall. Yeah, it is. What about when that it? pigeon does a double take? <laughs> The pigeon doesn't break the fourth wall. A double-taking pigeon could legitimately no, I'm exist sure, in this universe. I'm sure the pigeon looks straight down the camera and then like rubs its eyes with its wings and then throws a bottle of alcohol away. <laughs> no, even when they have, like, Sol, you'll be loving it in a few films' time when we get to... Uh, there's a series of films that feature uh, drunk men like seeing something extraordinary, looking at the bottle and then spitting out the uh, booze. Uh, you'll love those. Uh, yeah, I will. In fact, one of them has... Uh, two of them, they have uh, a man with a bottle and then a man smoking something and he looks at the <laughs> smoking and then <laughs> but yeah and then later on he goes is is in the office and he's going through Sean Connery's desk and finds all Sean Connery's old stuff um, yes and then <laughs> well this is this is another irritating thing about it because it's after because we have the main title sequence which shows like it shows a lot of like past bond films in a montage you see dr no and from russia with love and goldfinger and whatnot so it is like you break the fourth wall then by making me think that okay this is a different guy and then you show me these two sets of sequences to try and reassure me that, oh no it's the same guy don't worry about it so this is the same guy right and mm -hmm. Blofeld is the same guy, right? <laughs> yes, I know where you're going. <laughs> Go on then. How, how come when they meet <laughs> and he's pretending to be undercover <laughs> or whatever, how come, yep. well, Blofeld doesn't just go, oh, hello, James Bond, we've met. <laughs> we met last year in Japan. Uh, we're in that volcano. My cat was freaking out. <laughs> so what's that about then? That is because they wanted to do a fairly straight um, adaptation of the novel on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which in the Fleming book order took uh, took uh, uh, took place before You Only Live Twice. So that's why it's there. It's really stupid. Yeah, it's just just badly written, isn't it? Basically. <laughs> Yeah, 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 no, it is. It's like no one. I don't. I don't know if they felt like they were making a clean break, or if it just hadn't occurred to someone that just because they were different actors, you know, didn't mean that the characters wouldn't know it. It was 1969. No one had home video yet. They weren't expecting people to watch these films in quick succession and what have you. So no, but I mean, it, 
It's not as if this was like a little detail in the previous film. Mm. That, uh, it's the same villain. They, people would forget. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it? Exactly. Or is... Yeah. No, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure, actually, Blofeld's a codename. Oh, well, that would explain it. <laughs> but yeah, we have a different Blofeld because they wanted a more physical Blofeld who could have fisticuff fights with Bond and Donald Pleasance is not that man. How do you feel <laughs> about this guy, then? I, I I don't like him all that much. I mean, I think he's fine, but he doesn't, like, uh, he's not a mastermind villain to me. He's mm. more of a heavy. It's like he doesn't could be feel very menacing, henchman. Yeah, exactly. After the title sequence, we have more scenes of Bond and Tracy, and she's introduces a self-destructive character. She's gambling, even though she doesn't have any money. Bond sleeps with her. Whether or not he should, whether or not that's a sensible decision. Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely on her self-destructive character traits list, I agree. He slaps her as well, I believe, in one of these early scenes. Or, like, he twists her arm when um, she's got the gun. That's probably fair. (laughs) Someone's got a gun on you, you're allowed to disarm them. Mm. I know that James Bond's a prick, but in this film, I really feel like he's, like, a real prick. Now, is that why people think George Lazenby's a bad a bad Bond, because they just think, wow, what a prick James Bond is in this film. I think that is one of three elements um, as to why people think he's a bad Bond, depending on what your perspective is. I think what you present is one of them for a certain kind of Mm. fan. I think... On the other hand, you have he's too romantic. He's too, like they have this lovey-dovey montage later on to a Louis Armstrong song. That's not George Lazenby's too... fault, though, is it? That's... No, 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 no. But it's how the film presents his Bond. Yeah. is is what I'm saying. He's presented as a you he's know, presented a right knobhead. He orders caviar. Who? No one likes caviar. It's not. It's just something rich people eat to show off. No one actually I had enjoys it. it. It's, I, I mean, had it at the fine. British ambassador's house in Israel, and it was great. So, get <laughs> back in your box. You would like it. I, I mean, I've had caviar. It's fine. It's just not. It's just not good. I'd rather. I'd rather have some nice anchovy fillets or something. Ugh, if you're going to eat fish, smoked yeah. salmon. Well, yeah, obviously, smoked salmon is infinitely better. Well, exactly, but it's, it's also like significantly cheaper. You only order caviar to show off. It's just salty yeah. tapioca. Yeah. Anyway, so so th- there's um that that he's um a soft bond to some other people, and one of the other things I think is that he spends a good portion of this film undercover as a homosexual genealogist, mm. and he has his voice dubbed. And the problem is with George Lazenby, he is not a good enough actor to be acting as James Bond, acting as someone else. Like I think Connery had great fun with some of his undercover sequences, Japanese Bond notwithstanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, whatever happened to him? Japanese Bond. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I so and then because he has his voice dubbed for a lot of the film with this other guy, and he's yeah. When you know when he's doing, you know when he's doing his own voice. Yes. Is he dubbed then? Is he dubbing himself? Because it never at any point looks like he's actually speaking. Well, a lot of it is looped, <sighs> so I don't know what kind of accent he had when they were actually filming, and if he like. Tried to affect a more English accent, or what What was the deal there, but yeah. That's why a lot of these early Bond films, they don't quite feel like their voices are coming from their bodies, because mm. it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, all none of them do. It's all shit. <laughs> My second note about why James Bond's a cock uh, is something they actually address later on in the film, so maybe they were intentionally setting this up, though I don't know if that is Uh-oh. the case. Uh, well, I made a note when I was watching that he never says please or thank you, and it was really annoying me. <laughs> Because he, he just picks up the phone and he's just like, caviar, orange juice, right? And then like puts the phone down. It's like, 
Say, yeah, but that's say just, please. You know, no, you don't have to speak like that to the help. You just fucking, I want it now, get it. And then you give them a nice one pound note to, to keep them happy. <laughs> but but then later on in the film, later on in the film, Tracy says like, oh, you're welcome, when he's in the car, after she's saved him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Tracy is a better person. Yeah, but that's really weird. That feels like the film's gone meta, and she's meant as this kind of Frank Grimes who's coming in from the real world to tell James <laughs> Bond, like, stop stop being this character that doesn't work within reality. But it, it doesn't really play <laughs> like that in any other scene. It's very weird. No, uh, yeah. Anyway, my next note My next note is Whistling Dwarf. Ah, yes! The the dwarf whistling Goldfinger, yes. So what what's what's that? <laughs> um... It was the director's decision, I believe. They talk about it in the commentary. Um, he just decided that he wanted a little person to play that part. I, th- th- I think that that is emblematic, really, of this film in general. It's got a lot of weird humour in it. And I yes. kind of like that it feels like it's having more fun than the films before it. But I can't really think of any scenes that are actually funny. So doesn't mm. doesn't really work. I guess the fight scene in the room full of bells was quite amusing. I'll give it that one, but I didn't get any humor out of it. I didn't get anything out of this. There, there's loads of bits that are meant to be funny, but it's just but it's just stuff like, oh look, there's a little person sweeping up for no reason. That's a gag. Oh look, Cinderella shoe. Haha, <laughs> joke. The last guy, get it? Joke. Oh, money penny's crying. Haha. <laughs> It, it's just stuff well, like that's that. That's not a joke! <laughs> that's, 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 Isn't that's it? Joke. It's just a joke. She's like, oh look, Money Penny fancies him, but he's getting married. Oh, I always cry at weddings. Oh. Isn't that a joke? I don't really understand Money Penny and Bond. Can you explain it to me, Calvin? Are they meant to be like Ross and Rachel and we're meant to be rooting for them to get together? Well, no, Money Penny has come up with this this uh, front that she puts up to deal with the sexual harassment in the workplace that she faces every day. <laughs> Hmm. And she just has to, she has to pretend that she goes along with it, otherwise she, people think she's frigid and a frump, and then they just sort of get rid of her. You got you just got to play the game enough to uh, keep <laughs> those men in power happy. She's exactly the same with 008, 009, 005. Yeah. Actually, she's actually shagged 005 at the Christmas party. <laughs> One of my early notes was: I'm ten minutes in now. I've already have no idea what's going on. Who are these people? <laughs> I was just, I just, this film did not draw me in at any point. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew what was happening, but I wasn't drawn in at all. And it's it's the second time I've seen it, and I was struggling to force well, myself it, to follow it. It does meander for about 25 minutes, probably. Well, it's not really yeah, heading anywhere until Bond meets with Tracy's dad, and then we well, get even some bit of plot. The, the, the first, like, half hour with Tracy is utterly just nothing to do with anything, but then they bring it back at the very well, it is, end of the film. because you have to see those two characters bonding. But only to then give us a 20-minute epilogue at the end of the film that doesn't really need to be there either. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But um... So, yeah, he meets with Tracy's dad, and he's desperate to get his daughter laid. It's really creepy. <laughs> well, because he thinks a good shag will sort her out. She doesn't need to go to a mental health hospital or anything. Just good man to tell her what to do. That's all she needs. Well, no, because the thing is, right, she's a strong, independent woman, and he needs to break that. So he needs a strong man who will put her in a place. And that's what, that's knew what you Bond were going to take does. issue with this, Alan. No, that's what Bond does. That's what Bond's always done. In that way, but in, in the way that we're supposed to see it as, like, a dominant man, women will respond to that. No, I feel, I feel as if the film's playing it as if she'll 
stick up for herself and she won't go oh, along yeah, with that does. shit. And she is quite she, so. She tells it, him to piss off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the film's defense, it was, you know, I think Tracy's quite a decent female character for this franchise, other than the uh, choice of outfits they have for her in each scene. <laughs> I think I think it'll take us a long time to get to another female character as well written as her in in the series. Yes. Well, it will take about like no. Actually, I do years. I do like the character and and the fact that they end up together through their own choice. Even though the the dad yeah. comes off as a bit of a dick, but we kind of go okay, yeah. he's a dad. He's trying to do whatever. But this is all in exchange for for uh, Tracy's dad revealing the whereabouts of uh, Blofeld um, he because knows. he knows it. Yeah, her her dad, by the way, is like the 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 uh, daddy of the uh, biggest crime organization in Europe. Yes, <laughs> but you know, whatever. <laughs> no, no problem uh, pissing those people off. <laughs> so, so this film really probably could have just opened here. Bond's been told where Blofeld is, and he's going to go do that. You could make that argument, but bearing in mind, it is a uh, supposedly, I've not read the book, but it is supposed to be a relatively faithful adaptation of that book. And I could see how this, how, yeah, this would, this is a novel adapted to the screen mm. um, without much liberty. And yeah, so Bond, Bond goes off to uh, a big snowy mountaintop ski resort. Yes. And then they, they meet with um, Sir Hilary Bray, who Bond is to impersonate when he goes to um, Switzerland, mm-hmm. who is a genealogist, because Blofeld is really bothered about claiming this count title that he thinks that he's eligible for, which is strange. Yeah, funny thing, snobbery. Uh, but yeah, Bond does head to Switzerland, and this is where the film really comes alive for me. I love all the stuff in Switzerland. We meet Irma Bunt, who is Blofeld's henchwoman. Well, let's let's not forget his, uh, his amazing disguise. <laughs> what is, is Clark pipe. Kent? He, he carries a pipe around. Pipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, his his voice completely changes. So uh, <laughs> to a different. I think he's he's a, he's a master of it. Which George Lazenby only found out like after filming had all been done. Apparently, it was like, oh yeah, we need to get in this guy. Had he been playing it like, oh hello, it's me, James Bond? Had he been doing all that <laughs> on set? And then they were like, this isn't working. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Um, but I mean, this is a pretty cool set, isn't it? This like hotel upon yeah. the uh, yes, mountain. Right. It's a classic Bond villain lair sort of thing, where all yeah. these beautiful women are being treated for their allergies and yeah. So what's and wh- like? What's that all about? Well, why why is Blo why why doesn't Blofeld just hire twelve people to? take the uh, biological weapons around instead of this elaborate thing where he lures 12 people over to his place then has to systematically brainwash them over the course of however long they've been there. Hope that the brainwashing takes hold doesn't become, you know, get deprogrammed or what have you along the way. Like, what... Why? I mean, I'm all, I'm all right with that because it's sort of you can justify it in a narrative sense by like, oh yeah, they don't even know they're doing it. They're never going to double cross you. They're never going to they're going to do it guaranteed. But, but he's got a shitload of henchmen on his payroll. Just send them off. But from a, from a Bond villain point of view, it, it's all right. Uh, my mm. my problem with it is like, why are these people like one of them's like, oh, I was really terrified of potatoes, so my doctor said go to this place in Switzerland, and <laughs> it's, it's got no track record whatsoever. It's brand new, <laughs> but I've why heard have good they things. all got? Because they describe them sometimes as allergies, but then yes. very the the one says she was like she was scared every time she even looked at a chicken. 
Uh, but yes. she owned a chicken farm, I think. Um, is it a phobia? And, and it's sort of psychologically cured of allergies. What? None of it made did, any uh, sense, but it, it felt very did, sort of 1960s science. Yeah, this is before <laughs> so like, people knew like... about psychology. Um, <laughs> it just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, did phobia exist? Is that why they have to use the word allergies? Because it does seem to be phobias more than anything else. Yeah. Anyway, Joanna Lumley's one of them. Did you spot her? Yeah, she has one line, and she yeah, she's. And then Are I you also here for Christmas, uh, Hillary. And she, line. <laughs> and I also I also put a note here. Ooh, a northern Bond girl. That's what we wanted. <laughs> like a proper her. northern Lancashire lass. It's like listening to Jane Horrocks being a Bond girl. I was going to say it was. I was getting Jane Horrocks vibes from her. <laughs> Especially when she was going on about, oh, the chickens, oh, chickens, they all want to be a pie. <laughs> but uh, but I quite liked her. I liked the, she had a bit of spunk about her, like a bit of character. Yeah, yeah and, she should have been the lead. Know, yeah, be much better was, What? <laughs> other than Tracy? She's a better... No, other than Bond. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> well, fair enough. I'd much rather watch a film with her skiing around, shooting at Blofeld and stuff. And the whole the whole film, basically, is what happens in this... Swiss hospital and like everything that came before is a bit irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> Other than to set up the Bond Tracy romance, which is most of what the first like hour of the film is, and then when we get here, it becomes more yeah. plot. And yeah. right, this is your mission. It does feel like two separate films that they sort yeah. of shoved together. Yeah. Because even so, when they, even when she comes back at the end, it, it seems to be just coincidence that she happens to be there. Mm. <laughs> so. So the, the Bond, like. Maybe I wasn't paying attention enough because I was bored or what have you, but did Bond, like, break up with Tracy before he went off to the Alps? No. <gasps> what a dirty dog. Because <laughs> he, he proposes to her, like, as soon as he sees her, when she does come back at the end of the film. Yes. But he's, he's been shagging his way through all 12 women in this, systematically working his way through. It's just, Sex and love can yeah, be two different things for some people. Yeah, but this was 1969. I'm surprised audiences were okay with that. Uh, where's your next note? Because for a while now we have scenes of Bond uh, like interacting with the girls and Bunt and My, my next note is when he gets locked in a room. And it, it's, why do they lock him in a room that's really easy for him to escape from and just leave him to escape? Is that... Oh, well, that's when uh, he's in just... the lift shaft. That's later on. Oh, okay. But that's not easy to get out of. He has to go. He has to go along the cable car line. Yeah, but there's a clear, there's a clear exit route. It it might be a okay. bit of a challenge, yeah. but they lock him in there. Go. I can't see any way he's going to get out of here. Yep, fine, leave him here. <laughs> oh, well, you know, there there is that little precarious hole in the wall he could climb out. No, no, it's slightly dangerous. So uh, no one would be stupid enough to even try it. I have another note here. It's first. It's two parts. Firstly, why can't Blofeld smoke properly? Um, and, oh, he can't, and... <laughs> can he? I'm so happy you picked up on that. It really annoys me. And the second one was, didn't the previous Blofeld disapprove of smoking? So maybe yes. maybe it's a new habit that he's picked up. And it he won't quite be the cigarettes that kill you. <laughs> maybe he has a special way of smoking them that stops you being allergic to them. He doesn't take the smoke back, does he? He just sort of, he doesn't even drag on it. It's really weird. I might be misremembering, but in the next film, aren't there a load of Blofeld lookalikes? Mm. So is this guy one of the lookalikes and the real Blofeld's still out there? <laughs> no, because in, the, in yes. the next film he looks completely different. He's a uh, <laughs> yeah, they're really shit two grey-haired Englishman. Well, maybe we've only seen his lookalikes up until now. <laughs> up until then. That's the first time we see the real Blofeld. Well, we'll get into more continuity issues with uh, 
the Blofeld appearances later. You know, it's clear the, the codename theory holds up here because this is obviously a completely different character to the one we've seen before. It's just, because Blofeld it's just, doesn't, yeah. It's, it's, no, not just that. It's just a different personality. He acts differently. Oh, right. okay. It's just like this is a different Bond. Mm. It's clear. It's not the same person. Mm. But he has the he has the Garou watch from from Russia with Love, and he has Honey Rider's knife. Yeah, well, How he was get going, them, Alan, because he was we going found through him in Sean, Sean Connery's, Connery's desk. box <laughs> belongings, <laughs> and he's having great reminiscings about places he never went, people he never met. Yeah, he's, he's like, he's oh, a... Sean told me about that. He shagged that girl, yeah, in Jamaica. And now <laughs> I'm Woo! picking up the legacy. Oh man, what a legacy to be continuing. I'm so proud. I hope I can Until he do comes it for back a long time. Takes his job next. <laughs> takes his job back next time. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just filling in on uh, the real Bond went off for two weeks leave to to like marry someone, but he wasn't quite sure if it was going to last or whatever that was about. So uh, <laughs> yeah. this guy's filling yeah. in for two weeks. So it, has there ever been an official statement from the Bond people about the codename theory? Have they ever acknowledged it? Not to my knowledge, no. And they sort of, in one of the recent Craig ones, they sort of touched on the issue in a way, because there's a a friend of Bond who's dying in his arms. This is one of the Daniel Craig ones. And um, Bond says to him, "Is, is the guy's name is Mathis, and he says, is Mathis your code name? And the guy's like, yes. And then Bond says, it's not a very good one, is it? And it's sort of like, oh, well, is that an acknowledgement that Bond is a code name, but then they sort of undo that immediately with the next film in Skyfall, where they make a very direct link to James Bond's heritage. But anyway, yeah, doesn't he have a tombstone with his name on it or something? With his parents' names on, yeah. Oh well, yeah. So he, he might he, he might just be called um, Sam Bond, and the code Sam name's Bond. James Bond. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, but and then he's um, and. Anyway, Blofeld's his brother, isn't he? So uh, what's that about? Oh, let's not get started on that. <laughs> let's not even go there. <laughs> so this skiing scene, right? <laughs> it feels like the entire film is being constructed around the idea that there will be a scene where they ski down the mountain. Having a it's bloody shooter. good though, isn't it? It is pretty good. I'll, I'll, yeah, as, as far as these films go, that's quite a good scene. Yeah. Especially when you see like the behind, like people just hadn't seen this kind of thing before, and it was uh, like the cameramen like had the camera, they were skiing with the camera like between their legs and all this kind of stuff to get some of the shots. It's really well done. There's a lot of very dated stuff in there with like like it looks like some kind of covering over the camera keeps coming into shot at one point, and a lot of the shots look almost like they're done on a green screen. I, I assume they weren't, but it, it's got this weird kind of. Yeah, some of the shots are sort of like Diana Rigg on her knees being dragged behind a actual skier, like actually on the set. But some of them, I think, are like with like a back projection thing. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll be one. Oh yes. About. But I mean, it, it, it for for the time, yeah, it's quite good. It's quite impressive, taken as a product of its time, and it's certainly mm. the most entertaining mm. part of the film up until this point. Hmm. Then they have a fight, a fight, and they go into a room full of bells, and they're just punching bells. <laughs> you, you've mentioned that quite a bit. You enjoyed it's that, I suppose. They're just like, uh. smack a bell, ding, ding, ding. That was one bonk. of those like when when you hear when you hear the director talking about it, it was like they were like location scouting, and they just came into this room, and the director insisted that there must be a fight sequence in there when all the bells collapse. It's the and, best and, part yeah. of the entire film. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, All it was missing was there, there needed to be just a big gong stood against the wall for the last <laughs> bit, and he just chucks a guy into the gong, and it goes... Well, one of my uh, favourite moments of the film is coming up, where uh, Bond is rushing through a crowd to escape Irma Bunt and the villains, and he rushes into Emma a man... <laughs> uh, no, Irma Bunt. <laughs> Irma Bunt. And he rushes into a man dressed as a polar bear... And then shrieks in the polar bear's face, which is another very unbondly thing to do. But no, my favourite bit is when he sits down next to the ice rink and he thinks that the bad guys are going to get him and the editing's really quick and choppy and then Tracy ice skates over to him and the camera pans up and it's her. I think that's a really lovely moment. There's a lot of sped up footage in this film, isn't there? Oh, yes. So. Yes. Well, this was the, the director was the editor of the previous films. And uh, I mentioned in those ones how I hate the sped up editing yeah. and the jump cuts and all that kind of stuff. And this film is full of them because it's that guy directing the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tracy turns up again. Yes. So, yeah, Bond, Bond proposes. I, I, I can't believe Bond's going to tie the knot. It's good. I mean, it makes sense. It's yeah. going to put a fresh spin on the uh, dynamics of the franchise. That's exactly what you need to uh, stop the series going stale after six films, I guess. So mm. that'll be that'll mm. be great for the seventh film, a, a married bond. It'll be fresh <laughs> and, and exciting. Some new ideas. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just the same old shit again. So yeah, brilliant. Just before we get there, we have had a car a chase move, where, I, where I think that... Um, Another reason why audiences didn't quite take to to Bond is that, and I think it's good for this film, that Tracy is the one behind the wheel. She's the one doing all the dangerous driving and getting out of the situation and flipping over other cars and all that kind of Mm. stuff. But Bond is literally in the passenger seat throughout the whole sequence. And I think it's brilliant for her as a character, but for an audience who weren't used to this new Bond guy, after we've had films of Sean Connery going around in a really cool Aston Martin and, you know, shooting baddies and all that kind of stuff with great gadgets, I think it was probably... Even if it's only a subconscious thing, I think audiences probably didn't really take to Bond being mm. in the passenger seat. Mm. That's interesting. I didn't even pick up on yeah. that. I mean, to be fair, I wasn't engaged with the film, so I was just like, wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> no, that's a really interesting point, actually, yeah. Obviously, it wasn't George Lazenby that came onto set and said, you know what, I'm not going to drive the car today, I'm going to be in the passenger seat. But I think the way it was written, if this was Connery and we were already established with him as the big macho hero, that would be fine, but... I think if it were Connery, though, they, he'd be playing it like with a look of terror on his face as she was behind <laughs> the wheel, and he'd be making little <laughs> sarky comments about women drivers and stuff. I don't, <laughs> I don't think Sean Connery would let a woman drive. But just on that subject, what would you think, how different would this film be if Connery was in it? Because it is such a stark stylistic change from the previous ones, I would say. Um, um, would he fit? I can't say. I, I mean... I think this film's worse than the previous ones, but I think mm. the pre- some of the, pre- but I think some yeah, of the previous ones know. are as bad in terms of the story structure and all yeah. that. And Connery, just a bit. I, I, I yeah. take no, it's not as bad as Thunderball. That's the bottom of the barrel, but uh, mm, quite. But uh, <laughs> it, it is pretty bad. This one, uh, it's tonally, it's got a lot more going for it. I'm more inclined to kind of pay attention to the individual moments and scenes, but it, it just doesn't add up to the sum of its parts at all. The other films are maybe more boring and conventional, but they're more coherent. I think the other ones are more fun. I think this is a great film. I really do. Genuinely, I think it's quite wonderful. Um, But has a bad Bond. um... What what even even happens? Bond meets a woman, 
Then he goes to a ski resort, and there's some brainwashing, and then he has a ski. I really get into the love story, and I think the villain's plot is good. It I mean, isn't I, just... I, I quite like the love story, but it's 20 minutes at the end. No, it isn't. We talked about this. It's like a good 45 hour long. No, that's him talking to her dad about like getting paid money. That's part of the love story. And we have the lovely montage. Did you like that? No. Ugh. Do you not like We Have All the Time in the World? It's a lovely song. I want it at my funeral. It's a good song. Well, no, actually, I want that and You Only Live Twice. (laughs) I want Jack White and Alicia Keys, Another Way to Die. (laughs) Oh, Sol. I remember how it goes. I was gonna sing it. Do 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 do. I only oh, know brilliant. it because they keep playing it on. Oh damn it! You know it. <laughs> oh brilliant! What a mo- oh, God, what a do. brilliant modern interpretation of uh, James Bond music. Fantastic! Just what we mm. needed. A Bond theme anyway, for the ages. Bond proposes, and then Bond and Tracy go out, and uh, Blofeld and his henchmen follow them. We have more skiing. Oh yeah, and, and now and there's, there's a one. My favorite, my actual favorite moment in the film is here. I think is it the avalanche? No, Alan's gonna get it. Well, I've come. <laughs> is it one one of the uh, henchmen skiers <laughs> skis into a wood chipper, <laughs> gets spurted out all over the place, and then the psychopathic <laughs> Bond goes. <laughs> Uh, he had a lot of guts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, it's the, it's the film's evil dead moment, and it, it's it's it, it really like tarnishes Bond's character, though, doesn't it? It makes him seem like so crass and like he's a purely stark... psychopath. Like, it, yeah, that that isn't a witty retort. No, after, not... you know, the main villain has died. So it's, Bond, uh, a man, a man just... has just died. <laughs> well, no, people die in Bond all the time, but just not normally yeah, in such horrific fashion. He doesn't then go like, <laughs> "Oh, that cunt just got shot," which is basically <laughs> what he says. Well, i i've got a, I've got a little game here for you, if you like. Um, oh, brilliant! I, I I came up with some um, psychopathic remarks that Bond would make after someone had died, and I want you to sort of brilliant. we'll try and figure out how that person okay. might have died. Right, right. So the fir- first one I've got was, oh, he was a chip off the old block. Wood chipper again? Um, <laughs> he was a chip off the old block. I mean, the, the beauty of this um, is there's no there's no correct answer. It's it's just, whatever you see as. Bond sneaks up behind someone with a big kind of chisel and a mallet, <laughs> smashes it into the back of his skull, takes a, a quarter of his head off, and then says that. <laughs> is it yeah. like? Someone frozen in like a huge cube of ice, <laughs> and Bond like kicks it over and it smashes. That would be good, yeah. Okay, what about this one? Um, don't forget to cancel the milk. <laughs> uh, he's in like an Alzheimer's home. Uh, it's it's strangling um, the inmates. Th- they're having a fight on the top of a milk float. Uh, <laughs> like like that Father Ted episode. They're just like on the roof punching. And, uh, like, yeah, he manages to knock the guy down and then the float crashes with him on it or something. Or, uh, <laughs> or no, 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 no. Um, uh, they're fighting in a farm, a, like, <laughs> on top of the farm, and he punches a guy and he falls down into a, a, a herd of cattle beneath that haven't been fed cause, and they're hungry. And then they just, <laughs> you hear this kind of... And there's a, a splurt of blood up into the sky and he says that. <laughs> okay, what about this one? Up periscope. What? Mm-hmm. Up periscope. 
Is that a pun? Well, that could be anything. Is that a joke? No, no, it's not. That's not a point. <laughs> it's just a weird just thing. That's what's up periscope. Um, so he's on a boat or a submarine. <laughs> he's he's on an enemy submarine. I think he's like having a fight with a guy, and um, he's got like a lead pipe, <laughs> and he like stamps it through the guy's head, and his eye comes out the other side, <laughs> and he says, "Up oh, periscope." <laughs> I think he just shoots a guy in the head. <laughs> Says it for no reason. And no one knows what, what he means. All the other henchmen that get away are like talking about it for months. Just like, what is that? Okay. But yeah, the 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 like uh, it's not a wood chipper, is it? It's like a snowplow or something that um, the guy goes in. But it's a very it's an uncharacteristic death for yeah. a minor and unnamed henchman. It's an it's uncharacteristic like, that's the kind of thing that you would give for to... a Bond movie. It's too ah. red and the, it's too gory, and it lasts for ages, and everyone's like jumping through it on their it's, skis. It's horror like a fountain of blood stuff. It's really like over the top. It's it's more it is you odd. don't normally see that much consequence in a Bond yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, the, the the end of this, if you're ready to go to it, well, well, the, not the end of the film, but the end of the of the chase. It's the first bit in the film where it, it sort of caught my attention. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I like that. And it's the uh, the bobsled chase scene. Yes, um, I, I wanted to talk about this because I like that. I thought it was a, a really nice concept. A bit of dodgy back projection, but basically well filmed. It's <laughs> and, bizarre, yeah. isn't it? I the first time I saw this film, I thought the exact same thing. That is the one scene in this film which just comes alive, and it's so much better than the rest of the film. I genuinely quite enjoy that bobsleigh scene. I'm so stunned. I I really don't like it. I think it's Why? terrible back projection. Why the back is projection it so, is awful, the same yeah. as the skiing? The skiing's yeah. got that same clunky bullshit. The skiing is largely actual skiers like out there filming. Yeah, actually and then they'll the have things. a shot of George Lazenby back projected as he turns around and. <sighs> yeah, but not as much. Like about eighty percent of this bobsleigh fight is back projection and but George Lazenby and Tony they're, they're still portraying a. a... A fun little bobsled. I mean, it's it's absolute nonsense. That it takes me out of the reality of the scene. They just jump in bobsleighs and have a race. But like, <laughs> this that... is after the this is after they've blown up the um the hotel the uh oh, yeah. the hospital that Blofeld has on the um side of the building. This is the one point in the entire franchise, really, up until now, where it feels like James Bond is operating at that kind of silly tongue in cheek level that everyone always harks back to. Everyone always goes on about the oh the heyday of Bond. Oh I love the silly Bond with Roger Moore. That's Roger Moore, yeah. No, I know, but this mm. is the only thing I can think of that I've seen that really genuinely taps into that kind of energy well. Maybe the hover gondola, I've seen that as well. But that's Roger Moore. <laughs> I felt like I had a genuine tension in the scene. It was like, oh what's gonna happen? And like there yeah. was, you know, the grenade and there's this nice stunts where Bond gets blown up and thrown out of the thing and yeah, I mean and jumps on the other like has to run a Cross and jump on the other bobsleigh, and yeah, mm. I like it. And then there's that great bit where it, well, he leaves Blofeld, he kicks him out of the thing, and Blofeld gets his neck wedged in between two tree branches. And Bond, uh, <laughs> he doesn't go that much further down the hill, um, but oh, this thought, dog runs gonna, up yeah, to him. Have a... Yeah, you're not going to give his line. Uh, oh, he looks like he's branched off. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, that yeah. is it, isn't it? Um, just yeah. before before this, we've just gone past a, a couple of bits I want to point out. Um, oh sure. When when this scene kicks off, the Bond theme starts playing, like the James mm. Bond theme. 
Doesn't the it assault seem... on uh, the Piz Gloria hospital yeah. that Blofeld is running. Yeah. Doesn't that seem really out of place when it starts playing? This is the last time in the official series that they play that particular version of the Bond theme, because that's the version that was in, like, Doctor No. Yeah. Like, seven years earlier or whatever. Um, it, it is odd that they didn't just do a new version of it. Mm. And then later on, Tracy's having a fight with someone, and she throws him into some convenient spikes that are just hanging on the wall. <laughs> Yeah, some Spine. spike decorations. <laughs> <laughs> just handy there, really. Some, it's the some 60s. nails in a piece of wood hanging Look, on the wall. And it, and it killed him immediately. <laughs> that too, yeah. I'm, well, it would if it went through your spine. Anyway. Well, I don't think no. it did. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, of course it was. It went right through the middle of his back. It goes through yeah, his it wouldn't sides, kill you, doesn't though. it? No, it doesn't. It goes through his back. Definitely. I think it would paralyse you if it went into your spine. I don't think it would kill you. They're only like t- half an inch long. I don't think it would do that much damage at all. Yeah, and he's got a big, thick coat on. I'm just grateful that they gave her something to do in the climax. Like, they gave her a proper fight. I really like that. And and so, anyway, then the film's basically over, and we have the extra bit of pathos that's got nothing to do with the rest of the film tacked on. So, uh, yeah, this bit... What do you mean it has nothing to do with the rest of the film? It's set up! Like, Bond is falling in love with this woman. It's not like a standard Bond film and then, oh, and no, they're getting married. It, oh, yeah, it's, was it set up when he was shagging the 12 other women? Because, oh, well, I've got to have one last fling before I can really know I'm uh, in love with this woman. Just because he's getting married yeah. to someone doesn't mean he was faithful to them forever. Like, so is, is he falling in love with her? Absence makes the heart grow fonder? Is he... Uh... Spends the majority of the film's running time away from her. He's met this girl. He likes her, but he's got he's got a business to do. Right, he's got to go off. Whatever. Boom. He goes to do his business. His business involves shagging people. He's fine with that. Then he bumps into this girl again. He's like, do you know what? I really like this girl. And we have this great bonding experience. Where we're James Bond. Uh, yes. <laughs> we're in this uh, tumultuous thing that's going on, and she's she's saved me. Like she's got a lot of spunk. I, I like her. Do you know what? She'll have Maybe my spunk in her soon. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Maybe I'm ready to settle down and this will be the woman who can handle me. I don't know. It, to me, it just feels really like not massively developed. It feels like they should have made that the focus of the... They should have done a film about that. It would. I would have liked that. They did! This is it! No, not really. It's a half-assed version of that. Oh, for God's sake. I, don't, I, I kind of agree with you, Sol, but I think this is as good as it's going to get in a Bond film. No, I agree with that. <laughs> so, so it's just like, oh, okay, I'll take what I can get. Wait until we get to the Daniel Craig era then, because yeah. I think there's a better love story coming up. I mean, yeah, basically they, they go, they have a little a wedding. It's all pretty boring, rom-com stuff. Uh, just lovey-dovey, sappy bullshit. And then they drive off into yeah, the sunset. All, all his workmates turn up. All the guys from the office Q, turn up at the um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if a if if a bad guy had set a bomb at that wedding, would would MI MI what are they MI six? Yes. Would they would they have to close down? So no, they'd be fine, Alan. <laughs> just the, that's you know one of the load of code name people. Like they've got another M in waiting. They've got another hmm. Q. They've got another James Bond. It's fine. That's the point of it. Anyway, you know the scene. There's um. There's a particular shot where Bond and Tracy are driving off, and the camera. Uh, raises up to the sky and we see like over the um, the flower bunting that they've got and all that kind of stuff. Do you remember that particular shot? That was supposed to be the last shot of the film it and then it was going to be the the end yep. and then everything that comes afterwards would have been at the start of the next that ah. I mean that explains why it feels so rushed mm. Couldn't they give us one film where he is married? 
instead of immediately undoing. Yeah, let us let us get yeah. used to it before you break it away. Yeah, it's like it's like when Family Guy killed off Brian and then brought him back the next week. It's like no, you've got a decent story arc going here. Let's explore. Yeah. The- the, the different dynamics we can play with for a bit and then go back to normal when we're bored of it. Yeah. And and then I know, I, I and then they make the weird choice to make James Bond turn into Norman Bates at the end of the film when, when she's dead and he's just there going, She's okay, she'll wake up in a minute, it's fine. Well, I'm I'm gonna know that. I re- I really liked that, but it felt totally out of place. I, I liked it, except that you know they're never gonna acknowledge it again in the entire <laughs> franchise. But I, I put no, they I put do. that they do. In a good film with a good actor, mm. that would have been great. But it's just so sort of out of place here. It doesn't feel right for Bond. Like it doesn't fit his character. It doesn't fit this film. It doesn't feel adequately set up. It doesn't feel like the film's trying to make any kind of point with it. It it's a really nice scene that, like Alan says, it's just not it doesn't make sense here. And like I say, I I think if they gave us a full film of the two of them married, and then they could kill her off at the end of that film if they had to, or the end of the next one, there'd be some real emotion to be had. But because it's the Bond girl of the sixth film, and we know they never stick around for more than one film, and it's just the disposable sidekick, it it just doesn't... You're just waiting for for the film to get rid of her, frankly, and it it just doesn't work like it should. And it's a shame, because it... taken without the context surrounding it it's quite a nice scene i think it's a great scene at the end of a great film but i agree that it is abrupt and i think it would be more interesting to have a film where bond has his wife around or even just to like stick it on the front of the next one but even just make the next film deal with his grief a bit more well yeah but they don't do that because no one liked george lazenby is is that why they opted to not include that scene at the end in the next film because they knew they were going to recast him so they couldn't use the footage in a film with a different actor. It's curious because as much as they didn't like him, I feel like it was more of a mutual thing because George Lazenby had George Lazenby was signed up for seven Hmm. um, of these, but George Lazenby's agent said, Bond's really passe, it's like, it's the late 60s, it's swinging, it's hip, who's gonna you know, they're not gonna be making these for much longer anyway, you don't (laughs) want to be tied to this really floundering franchise just do the one film, get the exposure, and then get out. And he took that advice, and that's what he did. That's good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Worked out well for him. Well, you know. So, But I don't know at what point in production it was decided that, okay, that's going on the end of this one, because I can't imagine that if history had worked out the way it did and Connery came back for the next one, I I don't even know what they would do. Like, they wouldn't get Diana Rigg back for, like... uh, a scene that they'd probably just write out of continuity, quite frankly, and just mm. pretend it never happened. Or you just, you know, believe he's still married to her and just going off doing what he wants on the job, works and, you know, work life separate to his romantic life. Yeah, yeah, could do. Could do. Probably is married um, already, to be honest. Probably got like five wives. Like Rodney yeah. Dangerfield. Well, he... Probably got five. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did marry that Japanese lady in the last one. Yeah, there you go. So, um, there's, there's no uh, theme in this film, really, at the start. There's a musical theme, but there's no... The only um, song with a singer is the Louis Armstrong mm. We Have All the Time in the World, which is played in the middle in a montage. That's very unusual for the franchise, right? Well, I don't know how much of it was a conscious, because you'll notice that at the very opening in the gun barrel sequence, as the gun barrel is going along, just before it opens up and we see Bond walk along and shoot the thing... The uh, dot stops midway through the screen and then it opens up and says, the producers present. 
and then it goes on. And they did that in Doctor No as well. And these are the only two films where they do it. And those are the only two films with instrumental themes. So I wondered if they were trying to, like, set a precedent of, like, well, every time we get a new Bond, we're going to open in this particular way. Okay. Um... But it's curious. I don't know how you'd get on Her Majesty's Secret Service into a chorus. Yeah. On Her Majesty's then... Secret Service! <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really like the instrumental song. And I really like the Louis Armstrong song. I think I think the Louis Armstrong song is one of the musical highlights of the franchise, certainly. Mm. But it's the, probably the most... Um, What's that? What I'm looking for? Out of um, out of place, um, yeah. inconsistent. Yeah. Well, that's that's a song I knew for years before I ever knew it was in from a Bond film. Well, yeah. Alan, uh, are you are you familiar with Bond's music? No, not really. <laughs> Ooh, the Skyfall. Because I I've, <laughs> I've got a game for you two. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for me. Well, Calvin, you'll probably want to sit this out and just kind of make comments from the sidelines because you'll probably know the answer to all of them. Alan is not a Bond superfan, will be tested. So I suppose it's a quiz just for Alan, really. Okay, what is what is the nature of the quiz? I'm going to play to you a series of musical clips. These mm-hmm. will be <laughs> all sorts of things, ranging from film score to bits from video games to bits from... Basically, you have to tell me, are these legitimate James Bond products or, like, not? Are they... Okay. Uh, so have they been officially used in Bond film slash game? Just, g- let's go with, has any money been paid to the Bond franchise? Because <laughs> I've got some cover versions in here as well, and they count okay. as official and what have you. Uh, like I say, there's bits of film score, so it could be music from the middle of one of the films. Uh, I've got... Bits from video games. I've got rejected themes. There were a lot of theme tunes that were handed in for each film, pretty much from this different so bands and artists. So yeah, they'd caught many musicians for the theme songs. It's be like yeah. So I don't think I've got any actual Bond themes in here. They're all kind of weird, deep cut Bond themes, and you have to distinguish them from the the fake things. I'm going to do a few test test ones just to get you used to the idea before we start the game proper, all right? So these are easy ones, all right? Should we have a jingle? The Bond Quiz! Brilliant. All right, so the next three are also all tests because they're very easy, all right? So... So have a listen and then tell me if you think it's a, a real Bond thing or not a real Bond thing. A man of intrigue, he lives for the thrill. to go and people to kill danger is the game he plays and he holds every card cause if you wanna win you gotta spy hard a beautiful voice (laughs) do you know what that was uh, Spy Hard <laughs> was it that was that was a theme Spy- from Spy Hard by Weird Al Yankovic. So it's a nice easy one to get us going. <laughs> it did sound like a parody of Bond. So yeah, well, like I say, th- these are the practice ones before we get to the real challenge. You ready for your next practice one? 
So obviously that last one would be not a real Bond production, in yeah. case there's any ambiguity about that. We need like yeah. we need ca- catchy phrases. So B- Bond, Bond or, or... Schmond. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Why not? Let's do that. Bond or Schmond. <laughs> All right. Alan, is this next one Bond or Schmond? <laughs> we have all the time in the world. Time enough for life. Two and four. <laughs> 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 Sorry, was that Bond or Schmond? That is Bond. That was Louis Armstrong doing the the whole time in the world from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay, I've got. That's when you get one right. (laughs) What happens when I get one wrong? The old guy never had any trouble with this. All right, last practice one before we get into this properly, all right? Okay. He's got a gun and great big man tits. He's got your ears and tiny <laughs> That's Joe Cornish. <laughs> Dame Judy Dench is furious with him. He's gone completely out to lunch. Is this... But only a quantum. <laughs> yes, Alan. Bond or Schmond? That, is, that was Schmond. That was Joe Cornish doing uh, presumably some sort of Bond song battle with Adam Buxton. But I, I can't remember what the theme of it was. Was it just Bond themes? The theme was right. The theme for Quantum of Solace. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. yeah which was a time and upcoming film. They're your nice, easy ones. I got them, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, mm. well, don't expect that for the. <laughs> All right, so like I say, you've got rejected themes in here. You've got parodies. You've got video game music, music from the films, music from other films, uh, foreign versions of stuff. You've got all sorts. Oh, I'm gonna love this. All right, so <laughs> here we go. Question number one. Ah, I feel good. That's, that's not it. <laughs> Quite a long clip this one, just because I, I wanted to wait till it got going. Oh, um, it's good that, wasn't it? <laughs> I, yeah, I love that song legitimately. 
Um, that sounded very musical theatre to me. Um, is there some sort of James Bond the musical that, I, uh, that I'm not um, aware of? That's what it sounded mm, like. Like a spurned Bond girl. If Alan can't give the answer, can I? Just to make me feel relevant. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> what are you saying, Alan? Bond or schmond? Uh, um, unofficial Bond musical. So schmond. Okay, I mean, you're, you're right, it's not real Bond, but you're wrong, it's not <laughs> from a musical. Calvin, what is it? It is the theme song to Operation Kid Brother, the ah. uh, James Bond mm. rip-off slash spoof starring Neil Connery, Sean Connery's brother. Do you know who wrote that song? Uh, I don't actually, no. Ennio Morricone. Uh, yeah, oh shit, yeah, I was just about to say that, because it's one of those Italian... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great bit of music. So that's one one point to you, but you're not playing against anyone, so it doesn't really make any difference. Okay, good. On to number two. Gasoline, I've heard that before. Oh shit. Oh, why have I heard that? Um that sounded like something from the early two thousands doing a pastiche of something from the eighties. <laughs> um so I'm gonna guess it's some sort of fakery, some sort of parody thing. Schmond. Bond or Schmond? We well, are correct. It's it's Schmond, and you're surprisingly accurate. It is. Um, it's actually Electric Six covering David Bowie's Cat People, my two favourite uh, musical uh, artists combining. Is that something from the relevant. early two thousands doing the eighties? Uh, no, it's from the the more recent two thousand and somethings doing something from the mid eighties. Uh, not bad though. But very closely, yeah. Uh, and obviously, that was the theme to Cat People, the film. Written by... Starring Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, yeah. Also uh, used very prominently in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Oh. I love that film. Written by, what's he called? Gregor- Gregorio Moroder, what's he called? The guy wrote, like, every theme tune to a film in the 80s. Anyway, on to the next one. Oh, Japanese bond. <laughs> it's Chinese bond. This is Indian bond, surely. <laughs> I was born with this unlucky sneeze And what is worse, I came into the world the wrong way round Pundits all agreed that I'm the reason why my father fell Into the village pond and drowned (laughs) I was born under a bad sign Love Trinidad said it was a bad sign. Trinidad. Hindus and Chinese, Africans and Portuguese, everybody worry about my sneeze. Hachu! God. <laughs> um, that is uh, 
That sounded like someone doing a bad Indian accent. Um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, it, I, immediately think, I immediately think of Peter Sellers, but it wasn't him. I'm, I'm going to have a guess here. Is And I haven't seen this, but is it The Love Guru with Mike Myers, <laughs> who has obviously Bond connections? Is that Bond or Schmond? Uh, Schmond, then, I would go with... Uh, no, I'm afraid that is a legitimate Bond artifact. That was the song Good Sign, Bad Sign, written by Monty Norman. Who... Bad Sign, Good Sign, I believe. All oh, right, Bad Sign, Good Sign, whatever it's called. Uh, the <laughs> arguably offensive musical theatre piece that was later abandoned and recycled into the theme to Dr. No. A house for Mr. Bizwas, and that was Monty Norman, I believe. Yes. Ah, so he, so he just took the music from it. Okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah he, wrote, yep. he wrote this song for a musical, and it fell that apart, and he used, just reused so. it. Well, he composed it, and John Barry rearranged it for Dr. Yeah. No, and which was the subject of a lot of legal uh, disputes between the pair of them for several mm. decades. But um, they did eventually yeah. rule in favour of it being... Uh, Monty Normans, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is why you'll see his name at the end of every Bond film. Mm. So, what was the uh, what was the theme of that musical? <laughs> it's like someone with a big nose having a sneeze or something. <laughs> yeah, is he called Ashu? Very vague. Ready for the next one? Uh, yeah, go on then. If you were struggling well, to make that out, uh, it's because be it was in a different language. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I did. Oh. I was about halfway through when I figured that out. Yeah, um, huh. I d- that sa- that sounded like a legitimate Bond song in a different language. Like it sounded like it sounded legit enough. So I'm gonna go Bond in some sort of foreign uh, remake. Well, I, I'm afraid that's a schmond, actually. Oh. That was uh, mm. a song performed and written, I believe, by Stephen Chow for his film Beijing with Love. Which is a kind of oh. spy movie comedy, I believe. Hmm. I guess they were using Bond as an influence, obviously. But uh, yes, fair hmm. enough. All I've right, seen that film. I do like Stephen Chow. I like what I've seen of Stephen Chow. Yeah. Uh, moving swiftly on. Sound like Blondie to me. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go with officially sanctioned Bond attempt that wasn't used. Ooh, you've got a very good ear, Alan. That is exactly what that was. Blondie's. But I, but I'm not sure what theme. film. Eighties. The Eyes Only. Was was it? Yeah. 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 That's that's exactly what that was. They uh, oh. they they wrote a arguably superior theme for for Your Eyes Only. Oh. 
It's a good song Welcome. there. I like Blondie there. Oh, it's a good song. What's the actual theme? For your, For eyes, your only. eyes only. All right. Uh, next one up. sounded like a theme tune to a western so i think it's probably it's probably a theme tune to a film that is called thunderball but it's just a coincidence <laughs> it's the same name mm-hmm. but it's not actually the thunderball so i'm going schmond i think it probably predates thunderball i'm afraid alan that's actually a real officially sanctioned but rejected theme that johnny cash wrote for thunderball <laughs> there's no there's no yep. way he could have believed that was gonna be playing on thunder <laughs> no way <laughs> Absurd, isn't it? Like a spaghetti western bond. <laughs> I mean that that is the that's that's the song that sparked off this game, quite honestly, because it's it's <laughs> ludicrous to listen to. It's, I mean, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's better than the actual theme, though. Oh fuck off! <laughs> Tom, that that Tom Jones song's brilliant. Nah, like Thunderball. Nah, boring. Next one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yay! I love this game. <laughs> Possibly be official. <laughs> you sure, <laughs> that sounded that like I yeah, know, yeah. but that just that sounded like quite shoddily produced. Like it was done for, uh, like not badly produced, but it, like it was done for um, a radio show, like someone doing a skit <laughs> about Bond in a radio show. So yeah. that's what I'm gonna go with, like Kenny Everett or something like that. Again, you've got a very good ear. It's um, it is actually from the Peter Serafinowicz show, which was a TV oh. production. <laughs> Uh, it's him doing Ringo Starr. Oh, I said it's Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's his, his rejected Goldfinger thing. So, yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, I got the I got the Ringo Starr eleven anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next one.
I think that is a rejected official theme, probably from either late 90s, early 2000s. Am I correct, Calvin? Was there a Bond film where there was an entire score done and it was rejected for one of the Pierce Brosnan Uh ones? Oh, you're close. It wasn't entirely rejected. Um, a lot of it did get through, but a lot of it was rescored. That's Goldeneye. Yeah. Is, was that the one I'm thinking of then? I'm afraid not. Oh, that is actually the theme from Hot Fuzz, which uh, oh, was composed. See, I didn't recognise it. Hmm. Was composed and uh, orchestrated. Is that the word? Um, by David Arnold. By David Arnold, who is the James yeah. Bond composer uh, nowadays. Mm, fair enough, and yeah. they actually well, to... not anymore. But is he not? He... No, no, yeah. he did uh, three Brosnan ones and two Craig ones. Well, he was at the time, and and to uh, yes, they basically he had the Bond orchestra recording the theme for whatever Bond film, Quantum of Solace, I guess, two thousand and seven. Uh, yeah, it will or have been maybe or Casino, Casino Royale, Royale, whichever one it was. Yeah, depending on what the release dates were. Yeah. yeah, and when they were done doing the Bond music for the day, he just quickly recorded that, so Hot Fuzz got a full orchestra on a uh, fraction of the <laughs> cost. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go, brilliant. Oh, maybe that's why they didn't ask him back for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Moonlighting. It's it's four each so far. I've beaten you on four of these, but you've got oh. four right. But I think you're going to get the next one. It is a cover. Glang, glang, a lang, a lang, a lang, a lang, a lang, a lang. Nobody does it better. And I'm a naked woman in silhouette with a gun spinning round. Makes me feel sad for the rest. Nobody does it. Oh, bit of nipple. Voice <laughs> as good as you. Baby, you're the best. Da, 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 da. <laughs> that was uh, Alan Partridge in the TV show I'm Alan Partridge, recreating the beginning to The Spy Who Loved Me because Lynn poured Sunny Delight all over his videos. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Serafinowicz also in that scene. Oh, as well. yeah. Yeah. That that is correct, and that that is technically a a, a bond because it was. Because they you know, they would have had to pay for the rights they, to use it. Exactly, they paid to create that cover version there. So, <laughs> all right, next one. go with unexpectedly real Bond officially sanctioned one that was rejected. I can't place the voice. I can't even put an ear on that one. One of the Brosnan ones, maybe? (laughs) Go on. Uh, No, I'm afraid that was Electric 6 again. I just wanted an excuse to play more Electric 6. That's fucking (laughs) in another man's clothes by Electric 6. (laughs) There's no connection there whatsoever. I just like Electric Six. I wanted to play. Is this just because we've been talking about one of my favourite things for two hours? You feel like you have to get in one of your favourite things. Hey, look, I like Electric. Because <laughs> you know we'll never do a podcast on them. Well, well maybe we will. They did a film, <laughs> oh, and we've got another eighteen Bond films to go. <laughs> Actually, twenty if you count the unofficial ones. Well, by the time we've done them, there'll probably be another two Bond films out. So. Uh... By the time we've done them, this podcast probably won't exist. That's true. <laughs> 
We'll be dead. <laughs> Next song, anyway. takes me back <laughs> uh, that was Robbie Williams Millennium um, now that's obviously nothing to do with Bond so I think it's a trick and there's something in that that was like sampling a Bond song that he had to pay for and so I'm going to go Bond da, 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 da. you only live twice <laughs> is that from that? <laughs> it's, yes it's yes. the theme from uh, you only live twice Yeah, I can't remember it you're good at this game, though. Was that was you're that really f- good at this game, Alan? <laughs> Considering how little I know about Bond and music, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're using logic. I was going to say you're, you're that- very good at, at working my uh, thought process. <laughs> so was that an official uh, thing that he yeah, sampled, they, they or was they to get it, sued yeah. after it? I'm pretty sure he just paid to sample it. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I can imagine Robbie Williams has done a couple of Bond songs trying to get in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, he did, uh, let me just check, I haven't got it coming up in a minute, but he did do a theme tune <laughs> for Johnny English. Uh, so there you, ah, go. there you go. Yeah. Right, uh, next one. The curse has been lifted tonight, I'm on the loose. The gift has been regifted and vantage back to dues. Cutting through the toxic brush of lonely millionaires. Through the crowd I hear hush in the watch you feel. On the electric six again, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> they are good. Is that um, a schmond? <laughs> uh, I think they're still unconnected to Bond. <laughs> um, I didn't recognise what it was though. If it meant anything, no, just just electric six. Just, just still like just another electric. Okay, that's good. Right, next one. <laughs>
the, the music there was definitely some Bond music. In fact, it put me in mind of Daniel Craig Bond, uh, but I can't quite figure out why. And that sounded sort of a vaguely European accent singer. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's got to be some sort of official thing because I'm sure that music was sampling at least. So I'll go with Bond. Uh, no, I'm afraid that was uh, Radiohead cover band Muse with their song Supremacy. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? No, it's got a Bond connection. Has it? Yeah, because that was their, like, well, rumour has it. They were desperately they trying to, to... Oh, did they actually submit that one? Rumour has it they submitted it for Quantum of Solace, but the producers didn't go oh, for okay. it. I, I, guess I, don't, I guess I don't know if it's confirmed. I was going to say, I, I, I'm not going off rumours here. I'm going off uh, paper trails um, and things. Cold hard fact <laughs> in yeah. Wikipedia. Well, they just put it out on an album afterwards. Oh, maybe they did submit it. Yeah. It'd make a lot of sense. It sounds desperately like they're trying to do Bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Hello, me here. Uh, apologies, but yeah, I, I did completely fuck up in this regard. Uh, it turns out that this song in question was used on an official trailer, so they almost certainly did have some official ties and uh, submit it only for it to be rejected. Not entirely sure how I missed that, so it would appear I've I've sullied the good name of the Bond or Schmond quiz. I can only apologise. <laughs> Anyway, on to the next one. Well, this is a modern one. This is the last. This is the last couple of films. <laughs> That's Maudlin Bond. <laughs> That's the last one. But I, I, so I'll say official entry for Spectre. Was that the last one? Bond or Schmond, Alan? Uh, Bond. <laughs> Bond. Yeah, yeah. No, that that was the actual Radiohead rather than their uh, was it? imitators before. Yeah, the actual Radiohead submitted a theme to Spectre that was rejected in favour of a much shitter th- song that Calvin <laughs> thinks is much better. I love that song. <laughs> and um, Radiohead have uh, ties with Bond going back because they used to cover Nobody Does It Better in their, their live set sometimes. I've, I've got a little oh, clip of I that for that. you now. But did they do it better? Yeah. They, well, mm. Nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the uh, the only clip I could find that was sort of vaguely in tune. Uh, to be fair, it was a live performance, you know. Not <laughs> Can't expect live musicians to be in mm. tune, can you? <laughs> Uh, next one. Haven't we met? You're so 
So, okay, Madonna, Beautiful mm. Stranger. Obviously, she did a Bond theme. So, you wouldn't just drop a random Madonna song in there. So, it's got to be it's got to be Bond. Like, this was one she did for another Bond film, but it was rejected or something like that. Um, I'm afraid it's Schmond, actually. That was the theme <laughs> tune that Madonna recorded for Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me in 1999, three years prior to her doing an actual ah. Bond theme. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. It, it was Fair released enough. as a, a single from the film soundtrack rather than one of our albums. So, so yeah. Right? Fair ne- enough. Next one along. That's using the Bond theme. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I'm going to guess that's from a computer game, mm-hmm. an officially sanctioned Bond game, so I'm going Bond. Uh, no, I'm afraid not. That is from the Game Boy game Spy Muppets Licensed to Croak, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, rather brazenly outright rips off the James Bond theme <laughs> in amongst its Muppety. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That is a sort of Muppety Bond, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. That is something, yeah, that's quite impressive. What a thrill With darkness and silence through the night what a thrill I'm searching and I'll melt into you What a fear in my heart But you're so supreme I give my didn't recognize the voice but i will i will say that it is a rejected official bond attempt and i'll say it's for like the world is not enough uh no i am afraid that was schmond as well that was the Gosh. theme from metal gear solid 3 snake eater the video game and if i'd let it play for about two more seconds you would have you would have heard the backing singers going snake eater <laughs> <laughs> which i'm particularly fond of Right, three more. Mm. And what score is he on? Uh, I'm beating you, Alan. I've got nine, you've got seven. Or I've beaten you nine times to your seven. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Alan, you need to get these three. You need to get <laughs> all of these. Win. My reputation hangs by a thread. Yeah. My Bond music <laughs> reputation. <laughs> Can't sit around, catch potato land I wanna do all kinds of stuff Talking about it 
I'm going to revert back to my previous answer. I think that's a, an of, officially rejected uh, world is not enough. <laughs> I'll just go the same again. Um, Bond. Well, you're right in that it is Bond. Uh, that's actually the theme tune, the actual theme tune, to um, the James Bond video game Goldeneye Rogue Agent. I believe it was sung by yes. Natasha Bedingfield. Oh, yes. And Paul yes. Paul Oakenfold was involved, and he did some stuff in the Yes. Oh, Alan, you're catching yeah, up. you're catching up. <laughs> Let's see if you get this next one. This is a toughie, this one. It's probably the hardest one. I am the disco! <laughs> I am in the Taco Bell! I am the disco! I am in the gates of hell! <laughs> that is one of the two Electric Six songs I could name. <laughs> so no. it's it's got to be a schmond, <laughs> unless yes, so some very great uh, quadruple bluff you're trying to do. Uh, no, I just wanted to play some more Electric Six. <laughs> oh, but, um, so you're tied. Uh, but there is a bit of trivia there. the The female vocals on that track, quote unquote, female vocals are performed uh, under a pseudonym by Jack Black, who, of course, did a Bond theme of his own. Did he? Uh, not, not Jack Black, shit. The other one, Jack White. Jack White! <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I Jack White. That <laughs> yeah. Theory, I can't believe you're neck and neck. This is making this finale incredibly yes. exciting. Yeah. yeah, a quiz that has a 50-50 answer is neck and neck. What a yeah. shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mock me, Alan. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm putting that in or 1998, but I don't know what it is. Um, okay. Bond or Schmond, Alan? I'm going to go Bond. Alan. Yes. You have won the, the Bond Yay! quiz. That was, uh, that was, I think it's more recent than that, but it's, it's uh, Devil May Care, the theme tune recorded for the official James Bond book of the same name and included on the <laughs> audiobook version. Is this where the books have theme tunes? 2010, I think that book was? Calvin, I've got a little treat for you here at the end. Hooray! So uh, I'm just going to play that. 2008 was Devil Maker. Wow, blimey. Anyway, Calvin, here's your little treat. Who's that man behind the curtain? His kiss will make you certain Of the one name you'll be blurting During lovemaking Kelsey Kelsey One touch and you're not You kick down the stairs during lovemaking. Thanks to Kelsey, his name is Kelsey. His friends call him Kelsey, <laughs> or sometimes just Kelsey. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Kelsey, he's very wealthy. He doesn't have to be doing this. Kelsey! 
<laughs> Who sang that? That was the the end credits theme from uh, an episode of Thirty Rock that Kelsey Grammer guest starred in as himself, <laughs> as a sort of James Bond pastiche version of himself, I suppose. Oh my god, Kelsey Grammer playing a James Bond pastiche yeah, yeah. could not be more at my yeah, alley. I, I keep telling you to watch it. But... <laughs> oh. Oh, well, yes, I shall have to. Oh, I enjoyed that very much. At first, they thought it was going to be that um, Simpsons end <laughs> song from um, Scorpio you only moved twice. Yeah. All right, very good. Oh, that was so much fun. It's the most fun I've had all week. (laughs) (laughs) And I've had sex this week. (laughs) I haven't really. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, Should we we do some pitches for sequels to... Oh, shall we? Yeah, let's, let's do exactly that thing. I'm going to get mine out of the way first, because I've just done no. that wonderful quiz, so that, that's what I've been putting <laughs> my effort into, so just bear that in mind. Alright, so my pitch is, you actually look at the end of the last film, and you do something from, <laughs> with that, right? So we pick up with James Bond, and he's not doing very well, and uh, the the other thing is, you know, there's all this talk about having more diverse Bond, like a female Bond, a black Bond. Well, what about a fat Bond? <laughs> I think it's time, don't you think? So, the world is ready. So this film is called Fat Bond. That's the name. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and it's it's set after the end of the last one. In on the on the poster, can the bee be like a fat belly that's been tugged in by a belt to create Absolutely. the bee? Okay, good. And and honestly, that's that's about as much as I've got. So you have to help me with this. So I, I was thinking, you, know, <laughs> you you just do a standard Bond film, but like. Like Q's gotta get him some special. Is it Q? Q's gotta give him Q's some special gadget gadgets to that like work with him being a big a big guy. Uh, it's it's harder for him to disguise himself. Like the car, the car's wonky on one side. When they lock him in the <laughs> in the room, he can't climb out the little window. He won't fit. I've already got a couple of good moments for you. Okay, yeah. um, you know the little. Uh... The little jetpack thingy has. <laughs> yeah. right? That can't yeah. lift him off the ground, can it? <laughs> or uh, is it Little Nelly? Yeah. Little Nelly, that can't get off the ground. Uh, <laughs> or what about <laughs> what about the ejector seat? He shoots off the ejector seat, but it just doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's just a huge explosion underneath. It, so it really propels cool. the car into the ground. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> He orders um, he orders caviar to the room, and then when he takes one little bit of it away, he takes like just a full like shovel's worth of caviar out of the room. With him. <laughs> oh dear! Um, what about the sex scenes? <laughs> oh dear! Very well. The girl very has sweaty. to be on top. <laughs> <laughs> Would he have to have fat Bond girls? Because no, you got a pitch in your own league, right? Not James Bond. No, I think it should just be exactly like a Bond film is, yeah. except Bond is fat. Exactly. So this is a this is an examination of uh, uh, how men can uh, have a <laughs> men can be out of shape and still get no no it's uh, just a lot of fat jokes. <laughs> oh good. Okay. So who, who do you think should play Bond? I was thinking Eddie Murphy in a fat suit, but uh... <laughs> Rosie uh... O'Donnell. <laughs> um, are there who's who's the current? Like legitimate fat actor, John Goodman, Melissa. Uh, what's she, what's she called? Melissa um, McCarthy. Yeah, so she's the comedy fat person of the of the moment. Yeah, 
but she is a woman. Um, I think that affects things. <laughs> so it needs to be a man, are you saying? Is there a f- comedy fat guy? At the who's, who's you know, Chris Farley or John Candy at the moment? We we had uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He wasn't a comedy guy, but he's... Jonah he's Hill? Well, yeah, depends depends what day of the week you catch him <laughs> on. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I guess so. Jonah Hill. Can it be called Octafatty? <laughs> uh, I guess so. Okay, yeah. I think let's, we can probably do better than that. I think we need some pun titles here. Uh... Never say never again. To liposuction. <laughs> 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 Diet, never, never say another never. day. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Tomorrow never diets. I mean, it's basically the same joke, <laughs> but just a different different title. <laughs> um, uh, golden pie. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, a huge quantum of food. <laughs> <laughs> Casino buffet royale. <laughs> Casino Royale with cheese. <laughs> oh, brilliant! brilliant. Um, <laughs> Doctor No Salad, please. <laughs> Thunder Meatballs. <laughs> oh, so, that was good. So I think we've put that one to bed. <laughs> yeah, oh, dear. that's it. Um, but you know. It is a disease. No, it isn't. <laughs> For the record, I'm I'm overweight, so I'm allowed to make fun of fat people. Well, this is what I was going to say. I went to I just registered with a new GP, and I went to the like for the first thing where you get your measurements taken, and they just make sure you, they do a general health check on you. Oh. Um, and as such, they took my height and weight, and my BMI apparently at the moment is just nudging into obese. Uh, so I'm not even overweight, overweight anymore. I'm I'm classified as obese on my. You are a short man now. <laughs> yes, I am only five foot two. But uh, you're, no, you're 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 not fat. You're bulky. It's that's like, it. I'm not, not even particularly fat. But yeah, no, you're because not. I'm quite muscular. But because the BMI is just completely nonsense. For yeah, me. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm mine's officially too. obese, so I'm allowed to take the piss. Uh, what, <laughs> any other fat jokes you want to get out of the way? Maybe the film just ends with Bond having like a heart attack. Like he's he's. he's <laughs> The last third of the film, all the action's happening, and he's like, "Oh, oh, I'm, just, I'm, having, I'm having shooting pains in my arm," and, they, and, uh, and they're like, "Oh, are you alright?" And he's like, "No, no, I just need to sit down." And uh, they call out an ambulance, and it, it's very sad, and he doesn't make it, and it's just, <laughs> and it's much like the end of this film. It's just like a, a really sad bit of pathos tacked on at the end of the film. So <laughs> Blofeld is sort of like, oh, you're right. They're on the bobsled, <laughs> and uh... he gets trapped in the in the bobsled run. <laughs> <laughs> no, he rolls down it <laughs> like a marble run. <laughs> we should have more pictures like this. Just the same film, but with a fat man <laughs> in the lead. <laughs> okay, so um, <clears throat> uh, my pitch. You know when the um, in this film we just watched, what was it? On Her Majesty's Secret Service. In On Her Majesty's Secret Service, when he goes to the uh, Swiss clinic, mm. and uh, and, he, and he's pretending to be a, a gay man in a kilt, and uh, all the women are there. Basically, all that just reminded me of like a Blake Edwards, late <laughs> 60s, oh, sexy, yeah. co- sexy comedy. Yeah, this is 1969, so the, the next film is 70, 71, 
let's tap into the British tradition of uh, sex comedies that were being made at this time. Um, so I've basically done a carry on Bond, but I've called it uh, Bond Goes Bonkers. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I've got much of a plot, but um, basically, uh, you know, Lazenby, Lazenby's left, so we, we need a new Bond. I've, I've gone with um, Harry H. Corbett. At the time, he, he was most famous for playing uh, Harold Steptoe on Steptoe and Son. Oh, okay. Um, but he did appear in a he did appear in some Carry On films, or at least one, anyway. Uh, but he was, I think, he like he was desperate to shake that Harry Harold Steptoe image. Mm-hmm. So you know, he put a nice tuxedo on him. He could do the voice and all that. I think he'd make quite a nice Bond. Uh, I've got basically just got casting here. Uh, M played by Kenneth Williams. <laughs> uh, Money Penny would be Hattie Jakes. Brilliant. <laughs> well, we could do all the fat jokes you want there. Yeah, Because that's, <laughs> that's what she was there for. Who'd um, be Q? Q would be Charles Hawtrey. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. All the gadgets would be like vaguely phallic uh, and very like suggestive in some way. Here you go, Bond. This gadget's called a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little bit of plot. I've got a bit of a setup. So the setup is that Bond has to infiltrate Miss World competition. Brilliant. Uh, not in, like, as a woman. <laughs> I don't mean going undercover, like, <laughs> Miss Congeniality. Uh, and he could get some help from Bob Hope, who uh, presented Miss World at the time. And uh, it could turn out he's, like, an undercover CIA agent. Is but it called like, mm. Miss World is Not Enough? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, perfect. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. And of course, you know, you get Bob hoping that's a nice little, that gets your American audience happy because mm. they someone they recognize. Oh, yeah. So the main villain is going to be Sid James. Mm. Um, he'll be playing like a South African millionaire who who runs Miss World and but he's using it to like as a cover for international racketeering or something like that. And so, you know, there's back and forth, the usual sort of shtick. But I like that all of um South African Sir James's um like minions, all these uh henchmen could be like glamorous models. Yeah. And so like because I like the idea of Bond having to punch women. <laughs> <laughs> it's always when he's at his best when he's hitting women <laughs> so um and yeah and then you could have like the main bond girl would be like one of the contestants but like you know how they have a talent section in this world <laughs> yeah i'm not sure they did in 1970 to be honest but let's say they did uh, so her talent could be like martial arts and oh. so she's like a kick-ass uh, 1971 female um can there be a gadget that's given to him by q that's a slide whistle, but when he blows it, <laughs> women's bras just fly off into the <laughs> sky. They just spring off. Yeah. Oh, what's happened to me, bra? <laughs> that was Barbara Windsor, by the way. <laughs> uh, I think that's about all I've got. Basically, he shags everyone and gets the bad guy. <laughs> but yeah, sex comedy. Go full sex comedy. Hey. With Bond. Alan. Hmm. I think yes. we should team up and combine our ideas. Fat porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, a market but... for it. <laughs> Is there? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a market for sneezing porn. Oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> why? I don't know. Google it and find out. There's a market for porn yeah. of women that are like 50 feet tall and pick up the little men and put them in their mouths and swallow them whole. And then shit them out. What? 
<laughs> that's a that's a relatively common fetish. Giant women that eat little men. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. Does it? Well, no. <laughs> Save it for we'll we we'll see more of this on in the second week of February. Yeah. <laughs> Our Valentine's Day episode. Well, that's anyway. what I've got. Uh, Calvin, yes. as a, as the proper Bond fan, are you going to give us a proper Bond pitch? I am, actually, yes. Because uh, my pitch is sort of what what would it look like if George Lazenby had come back for another Bond film after On a Manchester Ooh. Secret Service, if they'd done Diamonds Are Forever with George Lazenby. So there are some similarities to Diamonds Are Forever in here, which we'll cover in more detail when we next get to another Bond film. But yeah, uh, I'll just jump right in. Um, so to start the film, similar to how Diamonds Are Forever actually begins, where Sean Connery is punching his way around the globe, asking people to reveal a location of Blofeld, um, okay. except it would be with Lazenby. So we have a series of quick scenes of him punching his way around the globe and eventually finding Blofeld, who is in a wheelchair now, because you'll notice that he had a neck brace on at the end mm. of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. Um, so we're going to maintain that. He's in a wheelchair uh, so he can't walk, he's completely paralysed, but he's, he, he can flip switches and stuff on his wheelchair, and there's all these, like, gadgets that shoot out at Bond and stuff, So, but Bond has to dodge all these traps, and there's a fight scene, and uh, Bond kills Blofeld, and um, feels avenged. Does he drop his... him down a chimney stack? <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So then we have the title sequence, Diamonds Are Forever, Forever. And now the plot of the film is largely similar to how it is in the Sean Connery version, except with a few exceptions. So I'm going to bring back Irma Bunt from mm-hmm. um, On a Magic Secret Service. Because that character is like, I mean, she's the one that wields the gun that shoots Bond's wife. She mm. never reappears in the series again. She never mm-hmm. shows up. There's no vengeance on her. Blofeld was just driving the car. Could they not? Could they not just get what's her name from from Russia with Love back? Oh, Rosa Klebb. Yeah, doesn't it seem like they just wanted her back? They're more or less the same character. They do love these um, hard-faced uh, German women. Did she yeah. die at the end of from Russia <laughs> with Love? Yeah, she got shot by uh, Tanya. Nah, they should have brought her back to life somehow. Bro- oh, robot arm. She should have a robot arm. Oh, oh <laughs> you're getting ahead of me. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, I'd have the film set in South Africa rather than Las Vegas, where Diamonds Are Forever is set. Um, Why? What? Am I missing something that you two keep going for South African <laughs> stuff? Oddly enough, uh, no. No. I mean, Sid James is South African, so that's why I did that. Is he? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, um, and he had to lose the accent when he came over to England and everything. But, um, hmm. but yeah, I'm sure he could do the accent. That's why I went for. That with him. Oh, well, maybe he could be in my film then, because this is like 1970 when I'm setting this, like immediately after Magic Secret Service. Um, anyway, so yes, it's going to be set in South Africa because there's diamond mines there, so the whole thing uh, needs to be set around diamond sauce. mines. Yes. So um, I'd have diamonds. So I'd have Bond girls in it, but Bond would be very different with them in this film. I'd actually like to see Bond spend much of the film impotent. Because he's, he's grieving, so, yes. Yeah, he's grieving, yeah. and he doesn't actually want to shag any of these women because his wife has fucking died. No, he wants. He wants to, like the, but you know, sub, sub, like he thinks he wants to because it's what he's supposed to do. But yeah. like his mind, well, his psychologically, his subconscious won't let. Yeah, him that's do what it. it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what. And it so is. he's a, this is constant frustration. Mm, mm. He's lost his mojo. <gasps> he lost his mojo. Can make a film about that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a great film. That sounds like it'd be better than any of the Bond films ever made. <laughs> anyway, um, he does meet a diamond smuggler by the name of Tiffany Case, who um, and she. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you make that world by yourself? Or no, that's that the Bond girl's name film? in the next film. Oh my god, that's actually. I thought you were doing that as a joke. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, the next film has a better Bond girl name, but I'm not going to spoil it. We'll get there okay. eventually. Um, anyway, uh, and she's going to be his main sort of relationship for the film, but they're not going to have sex or anything. They're going to, you know, sort of. He's going to have some emotional scenes where they talk about how he's coping with his grief and all that kind of stuff. So. Since Blofeld died, Irma is the head of Spectre, and Bond eventually finds her secret base at a secret diamond mine in the middle of nowhere in South Africa, where she has constructed a giant laser made of diamonds. They've, like, got... <laughs> laser. Mul- <laughs> they've made... <laughs> they've made some kind of special, like, laser thing out of mul- out of molten <laughs> diamonds. <laughs> and she's, a- she's actually, Alan, threatening to blow up the moon unless her ransom demands yeah. are met. Um, how, do you make, how do you make how do you make molten diamonds? I don't know, but that's it that's what's going on. Extraordinarily hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so, it's just, um, so it's almost like liquid hot magma. Yes, yeah, it's like that, but diamonds. Okay. Bond gets there and kills Bunt, um, but then it's revealed that the Blofeld he killed at the start was actually just a clone. And Bond is then Ooh. confronted with a dozen Blofelds, and they're all in wheelchairs, and they've all got gadgets, and they're shooting all the stuff at Bond. And is one like, of them an exact replica, but one-eighth for the size? <laughs> anyway, he, he Bond works his way through all these, and eventually he comes to the real Blofeld, the boss Blofeld, who is, not u- who is uh, now using a mechanical robotic suit to move around, and there's a... Uh, mm. There's a huge fight that takes place in the diamond mine, and they're near the laser, they're near the re- the core of it, which is this molten diamond stuff, and Bond defeats Blofeld and picks him up, and he's ready to toss him in the molten diamond, because that's going to be what <laughs> needs to be done diamond. to... Because, the, because the, the, the laser's about to go off, and something has to happen soon, uh, so Bond is about to toss Blofeld into, into the thing, and Blofeld says, Haha, Bond, if you do that, this whole place and everything within a ten-mile radius will be destroyed. But with the missile about to fire at the moon, Bond has no choice. He leaps into the molten diamond core with Blofeld in his hands, sacrificing himself along with Blofeld to save the world. Then we have the end credits. And then we have a post-credits scene, and it's in M's office, and Bernard Lee is M. Can I, can and I guess t- what's going to happen? No, you can't. Let me have oh. this. <laughs> he's talking to a man. Okay, now go on, guess. Well, my, my guess is Sean Connery walks in, and he says, Ah, oh, sorry I've been gone for a little bit of a holiday. Uh, <laughs> did that lookalike you got on this one-off occasion do all right in my absence? Uh, pretending to be me, and they went, no, he died, uh, we're never going to do that again, it was a really bad idea, <laughs> and so from now on, you're the only James Bond, It's, I mean, that's your your birth name anyway, so <laughs> it'd be silly to, I don't really know what we were planning, like, why we even thought it would be a good idea in the first place. <laughs> well, my, my guess is, my guess is that Bond walks in, but he's, he's now coated with a, a a solid diamond exoskeleton <laughs> is impenetrable to bullets. You know, Saul, you're not actually far off for what the, from what they actually do in Diamonds Are Forever. At one point, someone does go up to Connery and says, oh, did you enjoy your holiday? Uh, I hear you had a bit of a break recently. Anyway, yeah. but no, um, it's, in Ber- it's in M's office and Bernard Lee is there. Wait, so Bond and, is um, definitely a codename then. Uh, 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 so... <laughs> 
M is talking to a man, we don't see his face, and he says, You have big boots to fill, you know. We don't assign the name and number of James Bond 007 to just anyone. And then we see that the man he's talking to is actually Roger Moore, who stands up, raises an eyebrow, and says, My name is Bond. James Bond. And then that's (laughs) the end of the film. So, Calvin, your pitch is uh, for the codename theory, basically. Uh, I, I in, 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 in such that you're pitching it as an alternate universe that doesn't exist. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not. To I'm coming round to this codename theory. I, I, I think it might actually have some truth to it. It doesn't, and we'll get there. Like, the wife is the one thing that holds them all together. But Daniel Craig doesn't have a wife. No, but that is a fresh reboot. Beginning. Oh, so Daniel what, what do you mean the wife the holds them together? I mean, the the wife is the thing that connects all the bonds. Why? What? Because they were all married to a, the same woman. A woman uh, can uh, have uh, more than one uh, husband. Uh, uh, we'll get Sexist. <laughs> but if Daniel Craig's a reboot, how come then he does, when he's looking at those pictures of past enemies? But he doesn't. <laughs> it's got... Unless we're talking about the James Bond video game 007 Legends, in which case he does have memories back to the old classic films. But, uh, yeah, anyway, that's not canon. But, but hang on. If James Bond's the same guy, then that how means... Does he, how come he doesn't get older? That's what I mean. That means he's got to be about 100 years old in Casino Royale, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a shifting timeline. It's not, what? you know... It's, it's a shifting s- timeline. It's sounds not like science fiction to me. That's not... A... <laughs> uh, so, George Lazenby, we hardly knew ye. No, Diamonds Are Forever is next, yes. Um. Oh, ding dong, who, who's this? Oh, look who's back! <laughs> oh, it's it's Scottish Bond! Bond. <laughs> oh, Daphne Bond, we haven't seen you in ages! <laughs> oh, hello, lads. I've been away. <laughs> Are you ready to go to Las Vegas, Japanese Bond? Uh, J- Japanese Bond, you sound a bit different. Are you being... Played by a different actor? No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hell, mate. Are you getting these Sheilas around here? (laughs) I'm not really gay, you know. I was just pretending. (laughs) You know, that was actually something that the producers did to uh, George Lazenby. uh, Because he was a male model, they thought he might be gay. So they, like, hired prostitutes and sent them up to his hotel room and then had the prostitutes report back. Yes. (laughs) What? Because if he was gay, he couldn't be James Bond. Yes. Yes. In 1969, yeah. Damn. I mean, now you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, probably. Oh, hello. It's me, Japanese Bond, here to say goodbye for the episode. I know I wasn't in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Her Majesty's Secret Service was the uh, big starring role for my uh, my good pal, homosexual Bond. Not to be confused with Frankenstein Bond, who's also gay but doesn't let it define his character, you know? Oh, hello, homosexual Bond. How are you? Oh, hello, Japanese Bond. I'm very well, thank you. You know, I, I bet the listeners listening out now are expecting some kind of camp voice to emanate from you. But you just sound like I do. Well, I know, that that's because uh, even though I may be a gay James Bond, we're all Scottish on the inside, we are. Anyway, homosexual Bond, you've been warned, I've told you to stay out of my swamp! Somebody wants to me, the world is gonna run me. I'm the sharpest tool in the show, and she was looking 